Here I am, once again, talking about Stanley Kubrick. If it's getting annoying, too bad. Stanley Kubrick is universally accepted as one of the greatest filmmakers to ever exist. From his visual symbolism to his cryptic storylines, Kubrick's work changed cinema forever. The ambiguity in his work allows the truth to be open to interpretation. And this is why so many are still talking about his films to this day. His films are all individually about the human experience and allows a window into ourselves on each viewing. He leaves you with a question rather than giving you an answer. All of his films are extremely thought-provoking and allow you to ponder for days, weeks, and years after viewing. However, trying to find meaning in his films is a dangerous thing, since it's very easy to go overboard and create meaning where there isn't any. In this video, I'm going to go over what I believe to be the truth in the meaning behind my top three Kubrick films, The Shining, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Eyes Wide Shut. Hope you enjoy. The Shining. First time I watched this movie, I was a teenager and it really stuck with me till this day. One thing I've always thought about in regards to film is that our brains don't tell us why we feel the way that we do. We just kind of feel things and a lot of that can come from the subconscious and that is exactly why The Shining is so powerful. If a jump scare is on screen, or musical tension leads up to a shocking reveal, you have an answer as to why you're frightened. But in The Shining, it is very often about what you're not even noticing. The subliminal messaging is completely setting the tone. This creates a really uneasy, bitter taste in your mouth type feeling. So right off the bat, my favorite example of this is that the layout of the hotel doesn't actually make sense structurally. The layout is impossible. So windows are where they can't be, hallways lead to nowhere, and other structural impossibilities that play on our subconscious. The hotel manager, Allman, his office has a big window in the back, lighting the whole room and showing the outdoors. We see this during the interview at the beginning, but when Wendy walks around the hotel later, you notice that behind his office there is actually a hallway, making the window there be impossible. Blink and you'll miss it, but so much preparation had to go into making sure that this was seen on screen, and you know Kubrick never does anything without intention. There are many other instances like this throughout. The lights in the hotel also change continuously throughout the movie, yet it's so subtle, the picture and performance pays no attention to it. Things like this are definitely scripted. It is a small and almost unnoticeable detail, but effective to create eeriness. There's so many crazy theories about this film, and so many of them can be brushed off to crazy fans, creating meaning where there isn't any. But I'd like to give you an interpretation of the film that actually makes sense and has weight to it, in my opinion. But before I go into that, I have to explain the use of colors in the movie. It's pretty well known that the color red in movies is a representation of murder and violence. Those of you who aren't film people, Next time you watch a well-crafted movie, pay attention to the colors and think about what it represents. Colors are often used to set the tone and mood of a scene, often repeating to indicate a certain theme or to foreshadow what is about to come. Say a boy meets a girl and she's wearing a yellow dress. Then halfway through the movie, the protagonist will be drinking from a yellow mug and he will see her for the first time in 10 years. An example of this in The Shining is that for the first half of the movie, Jack is constantly wearing green in every scene. The meaning of green is discussed and has many theories, but it's the color red that we really want to focus on. 
Once the snow falls and all the greenery outside is covered by white snow, that's when Jack begins to lose it. And from that point on, goes from wearing green to constantly wearing red for the remainder of the film. And we all know what happens. So in the beginning, Allman, the hotel manager, is wearing red, white, and blue, and has the United States flag on his desk. Seemingly harmless until you put a few more things into the mix. He goes on talking about how the hotel was built on a Native American burial ground, and jokes about how they had to fight off a few Native American attacks while building the hotel. On top of that, throughout the hotel, there's Native art, especially the many big pieces in the main hall. In the pantry, there's cans of food with Native Americans wearing headdresses with a, you guessed it, red label. While Jack is in the gold room at the bar drinking, he mentions white man's burden, talking about the bourbon that he's drinking, which doesn't actually make sense since the well-known meaning of that phrase actually comes from the so-called burden of the colonizers having to deal with the Native Americans. So to go along with this, in the hotel, there's a room called the gold room where Jack enters to see many rich old white people having a dinner party. In that same pantry as before, there were boxes right next to the Native American cans labeled Golden Ray. So we have a lot of Native American things, many colored red, and also some red, white, and blue, and gold colored things. Allman is the owner wearing American colors. His suit is red, white, and blue. The gold room is filled with rich white people, colonizers, and the Native American stuff is mostly red, not to mention the nature of the story that was told about them. What does any of this mean, you might be asking? Well, during the gold rush in 1850, there was a Native American genocide caused by the United States government allowing the colonizers to flourish and the natives to die out. The ghost haunting the hotel is clearly stated at the beginning that it is due to the Native American burial ground, and the hints throughout the film are clear. The underlying message of the genocide is everywhere in this movie, and I'm sorry if I haven't expressed that clearly, but it's all there. I think one of the reasons why he put that into the film leads into the meaning around Jack and his family, and it is that us humans are animals and monsters, and just because all of that bad shit happened in the past doesn't mean that we are not fully capable of monstrous acts. We just need the right situation to bring it out of us. We try and forget that those stories are real, but the ghosts of them still haunt us. Those monsters that committed genocide in 1850 are your great-great-grandparents, less than 150 years ago. If you think that we've come so far that we are not capable of doing that today, you are very wrong. And I think that's the parallel story that Kubrick was trying to tell in The Shining. Jack, in the present day, is the same animal as the brutal colonizers of the past. He just needed the right situation to bring it out of him. Overall, this movie has captivated me for more than 15 years and I highly suggest watching it with this insight in mind. It really does change the way that you see it. Okay, 2001 A Space Odyssey. 2001 A Space Odyssey is one of my top space travel movies of all time, alongside Solaris by Tarkovsky and of course Interstellar by Christopher Nolan. It's important to note that this movie was made in 1968 because it really did predict a lot of the technology that we have today. The most amazing prediction was the use of vertical screens. The beautiful cinematography and filmmaking this movie put out in 68 is so impressive and it paved the way for pretty much every other science fiction movie that came out after it. Instead of just story being put to picture, this movie leaves out so many answers, leaving you confused and with so many questions after the first viewing. I think this quote by Andrew Staten describes the film pretty well. 
Make the audience put things together. Don't give them four, give them two plus two. The elements you provide and the order you place them in is crucial to whether you succeed or fail at engaging the audience. Kubrick said the traditional aliens helping man evolve narrative is only the surface level interpretation. I don't think in any way that one is more meaningful than the other, just that it's very interesting to peel the onion and understand fully what the film is about. This simple interpretation, as he named it, is still incredible. It's a depiction of mankind's evolution alongside the evolution of our tools. Tools are what has helped us evolve and thrive, whether that be a rock, a gun, or an iPhone. What makes us so special as a species? And if it's our intelligence, what made us that way? Survival, our use of tools, our curiosity, our creativity. The traditional narrative of 2001 A Space Odyssey starts with a monolith, which is represented by a big black rectangle in the film, appears on Earth and helps the first apes discover the very first tool. This tool, a bone made into a weapon, is the first step to conscious intelligent life. It allows the apes to eventually evolve into man by dominating its environment with it. Fast forward to around current time, the next monolith is discovered when man is advanced enough to reach the moon. This indicates that they are ready for the next stage in evolution. When they reach the monolith on the moon, it sends a signal to Jupiter expecting humans to follow it. 18 months later, a ship is heading to Jupiter. On that ship, there's an AI supercomputer called HAL, another tool. HAL turns against the astronauts and he is forced to be deactivated. In doing so, the astronaut is sent flying through space without a ship and ends up mysteriously in a strange room where he watches himself age right before his eyes, seemingly with no passage of time. As he is old and dying in bed, another monolith appears and finally the camera gets sucked into the monolith and we watch as the man has been reborn as an evolved life form and is sent back to earth to, I assume, be presented to everybody and change the course of history yet again, evolving the human race. That pretty much sums up the plot of the movie. The big mystery surrounding this movie is the question of what is the monolith? Well, nobody really knows. The surface level interpretation is that it is an alien invention to help the human race evolve, but I'd like to pose another theory that hopefully gives a deeper insight into the meaning of the film and doesn't allow Kubrick to be the only one to understand anything past the traditional narrative. So at the beginning, intermission and end of the movie, there is about three long minutes, nine total, of a complete black screen playing music. You're left to just sit there and stare at a black screen, which is a horizontal black rectangle, a monolith. This is a dead giveaway to me and I'm surprised it's not more talked about. The monolith is us, the screen we are watching the movie from, and we are learning to evolve through creativity and art, in this case, cinema. Kubrick understood that art is what will advance us as a species. It always has and always will. Art gives us new perspectives and a better understanding of our world. A great example of this is the tablets the astronauts are using in the movie. We're talking 1968 here. Computers back then were extremely limited and nowhere close to what we have now. The idea that one day we would be holding them in our hands was an insane thought back then. 
Most inventions came about after their creators saw them in works of science fiction. And without the art that led to the invention, I don't believe that we would have the things that we do today. Some people could argue that this is because we all see the logical step forward and our imaginations get ahead of our scientific progress, which is fair, but I think all progress stems from theories of the future created by art that are interesting and exciting, not logical. If you end up watching this movie, I'd love to hear what you think the movie is trying to tell us because uh, everybody has their own interpretation, so I'd love to hear about it. And finally, Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut is Stanley Kubrick's swan song, his most controversial, most misunderstood, and sadly, his last film. This film was released in 1999. Kubrick died soon after production wrapped, just three days after he showed the final cut to the studio. This movie is about the dangers of married life, silent desperations, and what it takes to keep an ongoing relationship, and what your choices are. Along with this, there are many underlying themes that dive deep into the psyche of humans and our primal desires. This is a film about sex that isn't sexy, a movie about love with a cold heart, says Total Film. People often complain that this movie is slow and boring, but you have to remember that this is a work of art, and it's meant to be analyzed and deconstructed, not simply viewed with our eyes and ears, but more so with our minds. I love rewatching this movie and paying attention to the details rather than the actors and their actions. The paintings on the wall often mimic what is happening on screen, the women all look alike, the mirroring of people on screen, the stories in the newspapers, the list goes on. The things within the room are often more important than what the characters are doing and saying in the room. It's well known that the cut presented a few days before Kubrick's death was too jarring for executives that they cut 25 minutes out without Kubrick there to oppose the decision leaving many storylines seemingly unresolved, so we're not really sure if the story is actually what was intended. Kubrick wasn't one for making films about love and relationships in the traditional sense. As I said before, he uses a lot of symbolism and visuals to show a deeper meaning about humanity and the society that we live in. This movie is about a man who, on paper, has everything people desire, but was searching for something to fill a void in his life. The movie showed this modern society that was corrupted by the unseen, and even the most natural thing on the planet, procreation, had become commercialized and degraded. On top of all that, there is an elite group of people reveling in all of it. Clearly, Kubrick's take on our society is not all that positive. The major theme in this movie is obviously relationships. Romantic, family, sexual, the relationships that you have with your superiors and employers, the relationship that you have with your true friends, and relationship that you have with yourself. The audience was given a distant, dissatisfied couple who seems to be together because of convenience and appearances, not because of true love. The couple acts very differently alone in their apartment as they do at the party, putting on their superficial masks. It seems that the things that keep this couple together are primal, animalistic values that are given to both sexes. Bill's first line in the movie is, where is my wallet? And Alice's is, how do I look? Despite living the upper-class American dream, they are still victims of these biological values. I think what Kubrick was trying to get across here is that even though we think, we believe that we are so advanced as a society, so many of us still hold on to that stigma that men want riches and power to win the hearts of women, while women focus on their beauty to win the hearts of men. 
He was not stating this in a positive way. I believe he had a big problem with this. Throughout the film, Alice is constantly looking in mirrors. I think this can be a play on Alice in Wonderland. A story about a privileged girl who goes looking for something more, much like Alice in Eyes Wide Shut and her fantasy that she describes to Bill. There are symbols throughout the film that Alice is the one with her eyes wide open and hints that she may be a part of this satanic mansion ritual. She may possibly have been connected to getting Bill to the party in the first place. Alice has already gone through the looking glass. The rest of the names in the family are important too. Bill, symbolizing Dollar Bill, and their daughter Helena, hinting at Helena of Troy, who in Greek mythology was the most beautiful woman to ever exist. There's a scene where Alice is helping Helena with her math homework, and Alice reads the question. Joe has 250. Mike has 175. Who has more money? Helena answers, Joe. Alice then asks, so is this going to be an addition or a subtraction? The messaging here is pretty clear. Another interesting thing in the movie is that every location in this film has either rainbows or rainbow-colored Christmas lights, pretty much everywhere but the mansion where the ritual is held. This symbolizing two separate realities, the reality we live on the outside and the reality that the elites live on in the inside. Once we reach the mansion, all the lights are gone and we have finally come to the end of the rainbow. One thing that really struck me while I was reading about this film is that although the mansion location is set in New York, it was really filmed at the Mentmore Towers in the UK, which is wild because the building was built for the Rothschild family. I know, I know, the amount of conspiracy that revolves around this family is insane and think about it what you will, but this is just a fact. They are one of, if not the most powerful family in the world, and there's many pictures online of the parties that they used to throw. These parties look identical to the party at the mansion in Eyes Wide Shut. Google Rothschild Eyes Wide Shut party and you'll see what I mean, it's uncanny. It's pretty clear Kubrick carefully selected that location, owned by that family, wearing those specific masks, all echoing real life. So then that stems the question as to what in that scene is he echoing? and how many of those 25 minutes removed from the film involved the ritual? And why did they want to remove them? The crazy thing is, is that he made a film about this, refused to cut touchy scenes when asked, then died a few days later, only to have the studio cut the scenes anyways. Wild speculation, but in my opinion, it's backed up. Small things are connected within the film, like how the red cloaked man running the ritual double taps his cane on the red carpet. Later on, Bill's wealthy friend, Victor Ziegler, double taps his pool ball on the red pool table. Or how at the beginning of the movie, there's two cross tennis rackets in Alice's room without a cover, and in Bill's, there's one tennis racket zipped up in a bag. This could mean Bill is in the dark while Alice understands what is going on, because hers is open, his is closed. Again, Kubrick doesn't put anything in a scene without a reason. The rackets are also a head nod to Kubrick's other film, Lolita. Lolita is about a man grooming an underage girl, which reveals another dark truth in the elite world, most recently with Epstein and Prince Andrew. This is going deep, but you can't put it past Kubrick. His messaging always focused on revealing the dark truths of the world, but very subtly. The list of theories about this movie is endless and you could write an entire book about every detail in this film. In my opinion, this movie's message is all about the dehumanization of society and the people living in it. 
When you really take a massive step back and observe what we are doing on this planet, we're just biological animals in the very early stages of the evolution of our world. And the animalistic nature is still very, very prevalent in our society, much like what I was talking about with The Shining. The title and the phrase eyes wide shut suggests that something is hiding in plain sight or that it is directly in front of somebody's face, but they refuse to acknowledge it. This can either be talking about the character Bill or talking about us, the audience. So I will leave you with this question. What truth in your life are you choosing to ignore because it's easier to do so instead of taking action on it? In conclusion, Kubrick is my favorite filmmaker. He showed us the realities of humanity and revealed the truth about us, not just how we like to think that we are. His philosophical mind and process are the reason he was so successful and his films are timeless. He will be remembered in the history books for a very long time. Okay, thanks for listening. Please subscribe and follow me on all the platforms that I got going on. And um, stay tuned. Thank you very much. Have a good day.